One theory of motivation would suggest that there are two ways that we can be motivated. We could have intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivators. Extrinsic motivation is external motivation, where we're motivated by something that's external to us, like pay or a job title or a prestigious organisation. The problem with extrinsic motivation is it's not long-lasting. Intrinsic motivation, on the other hand, is more internal and it's longer-lasting. So it's like being motivated because you feel that sense of purpose and meaning about the work that you're doing or because you're excited about the challenges that you get to rise up to or because your job gives you a sense of mastery. And I think, you know, being aware of with the job that you're in, what are your intrinsic motivators versus what are your extrinsic motivators is a very good place to start in terms of reflecting how good a fit is this job for you? Because if it's primarily extrinsic motivators, that's that's not fantastic. Like it might keep you excited for a little bit, but not a long time. Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being, from exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds. I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. How do you work? We're mostly caught up with what we do for work, but how often are we checking in with how we work? In this episode, I chat with Amantha Imber. I first saw Amantha on the ABC Morning News and thought instantly that she would be a great guest to have on the podcast, and we are so grateful to have her here. She's an organizational psychologist and founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium. She hosts the number one ranking business podcast, How I Work, which has had over 3 million downloads, where she interviews some of the world's most successful people about their habits, strategies, and rituals. She was named one of the Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence in 2009. In 2021, she won the Thinkers 50 Innovation Award. Her thoughts have appeared in the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Fast Company. And she's also the author of two best-selling books. There is so much gold to be discovered in this episode. So get your pen and paper ready because the tips and the tools she shares with us today can be implemented before you wake up for your next working day. Here we are. Amantha Imber, welcome to Virgin Active Minds Podcast. How are you? I'm very well. It's good to be here. Great. It is so great to have you here. Um, And I'm looking forward to getting into the topic of how we work. Um, And so, yeah, could you start with a bit of a synopsis on who you are, what you do, what's brought you to this point? So in terms of my adult life, after I left school, I did a bit of a life sentence at university, studied organizational psychology for seven years. So I did my PhD in that. I worked in advertising for about five years as a consumer psychologist straight out of uni, which was interesting work, understanding why we buy the things that we buy. But I left the industry because I went into psychology to help people in a meaningful way. And I didn't think it was all that meaningful to help people buy more chocolate bars. Uh, And then, yeah, and then about 15 years ago, uh, after I left that industry, I started Inventium. And Inventium is a behavioral science consultancy. And we exist to help people do their best work. So whether that be thinking more innovatively and creatively, about the challenges that they're facing, uh, helping people learn how to do deep focused work in the age of digital distraction and helping our clients think about the future of work and how to tackle all the uncertainty and changes that exist. 
Mm. And is organizational uh, psychology purely focused around work and the way that we work and engage with others? It is. It's a field of psychology that not a lot of people are familiar with. People are generally familiar with clinical psychology or counseling psychology, which is therapy, essentially. Whereas organizational psychology is helping people perform better at work, be happier at work, and helping organizations function a bit more, uh, well, better, function better, I guess. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, and I'm, to ask you directly, when it comes to work, how do you work? How do you stay motivated and organized? And Oh, that's a big question. Uh, so on a macro level, I do think very deeply about Inventium's purpose and, you know, certainly my my reason behind making all the choices that I make in terms of Inventium as, as my primary work, but also I have a podcast, How I Work, which takes up a fair bit of my working week and, you know, always remembering why I've made the decision to dedicate X number of hours a week to that particular project. And so I guess that's at a macro level, you know, really being cognizant of why I'm doing what I'm doing. But then at a micro level, I do think a lot about that as well. And and certainly on the How I Work podcast, the like my my reason for doing that podcast is that I'm really fascinated by how you know the leaders and you know the most successful people in their fields have achieved so much, but we've all got the same amount of hours in the day. And I wanted to know what were they doing differently to the rest of us mere mortals. And so through that podcast, I've picked up lots of different strategies that have completely transformed how I work. And also through the consulting work that we do at Inventium, we train people how to be more productive and use their time more wisely. And so I've picked up a lot through the research that I've done as part of my work at Inventium. Mm. I love your podcast, How I Work. Um, so thank you for putting that out into the world. And if you haven't had a listen yet, guys, then you definitely need to have a listen. And obviously you do speak to some of the world's most successful people. What do you think defines success at work? Oh, that, that is quite the question. Because I think a lot of people have quite different definitions of success than I do. I think for a lot of people, success is getting the next promotion or getting the next pay rise or working for a company that has a stellar reputation and being able to put that on their LinkedIn profile and things like that. And, you know, things that the research would suggest doesn't really uh, correlate all that strongly with how good we feel day to day at work. And so for me, the the driving force for me at Inventium, and I would say the team, so there's a team of 11 of us, is uh, like maximizing the impact. So I think a lot about how much impact I can have and to how many people. And so that's why for me the podcast is a very motivating project because it's been downloaded over 3 million times and you know, every day I'll I'll get emails and notes from listeners talking about how strategies that they've heard have had a really significant impact on their working life. 
And for me, I'm, I'm really driven by, you know, sharing knowledge, whether that be dissecting complex science and making that simple and practical and easy for people to apply. Uh, and also just through sharing stories of, of people on the podcast around how we can do our best work. And, you know, in terms of success, I think success, you know, for me is having a big impact, but also feeling joyous about work and feeling excited for Monday, because that's the start of my working week, quite traditional in that way. Uh, But yeah, success is, I think, like on a day-to-day level, I do always do a check-in with myself around Am I feeling excited to come to work? Come to work in inverted commas because that's my home. Like I work from home because uh, we're a remote first company. But am I feeling excited to start work on Monday morning? And that's one of the things that triggered me to leave advertising where I began to get that feeling of dread on Sunday night where I was like, oh gosh, it's another week of work and I'm not feeling very good about that. And when I started feeling that on a regular basis, that was that was like my warning bell or my tripwire to go I need to rethink my job and I need to rethink the direction of my career. Mm, absolutely. And I hear you on that. And I guess that, is, that can be a tricky point for a lot of people and waking up on Monday morning and potentially not going to work. Um, I also had a similar, I had a previous career in finance and telecommunications and after a number of years made the big change, same thing, right? Like I, I remember this day clearly, being in an office in Montreal, it was like minus 30 degrees outside and thinking it is time to change. (laughs) I want to wake up and feel, you know, excited to go to work and made that change, joined Virgin Active. And here we are 13 years later, still very excited on Monday morning. Um, Now you just mentioned about um, working remotely and obviously that's been a big change for a lot of us over the last two years. Um, how do you recommend we, you know, especially for those where, you know, whether it's working from home or your work environment has changed dramatically for any reason, pandemic or not, um, how do we go about structuring days and kind of handling that change? Well, one big thing that we recommend and invent to all our clients is structuring your day based on your chronotype. So for for listeners that haven't come across the idea of a chronotype, it's basically the the peaks and troughs of our energy over a 24-hour period. So it's underpinned by a whole body of research around what's called circadian rhythms. And what chronotype researchers have found is that, broadly speaking, there are three different types of chronotypes. There are larks. So these are stereotypical morning people that jump out of bed at, you know, five or six in the morning without an alarm. Uh, They typically do their best work, you know, before lunch, like between the hours of, say, 7 to 10 a.m. It's about 16 to 17% of the population. Then another type is owls. Uh, Owls find larks very annoying, and they represent about one in five of the population, and they come to life at night, as the name suggests. So they do their best work and their best thinking when most offices are closed, which is sad for owls and workplaces employing owls. And then everyone else is a middle bird. So they follow the patterns of a lark, just delayed by an hour or two. So if you're a middle bird, you're probably waking at about 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., thereabouts, and your peak brain power is going to happen between about 9 to 12 in the morning. And so 
all chronotypes have what psychologists call a post-lunch dip. So after you've eaten lunch, your energy dips, your brain gets a bit fuzzier sort of between the hours of, you know, around sort of one to three in the afternoon. And then larks and middlebirds have a rebound in the late afternoon where they get a bit more brain power. And that's, of course, when owls come to life and do their best work. And so there's, uh, you know, there's, there's different tools for scientifically assessing your chronotype. Um, and Mark, I can send you a, a link to put in the show notes if anyone wants to do that. And I recommend doing this and then structuring your working day proactively based on your chronotype. So for me, I am lark-ish, although I've gone more towards a middle bird since working from home and having no commute. Uh, and I do my best work typically between about 8 and 11 in the morning. Uh, so I typically don't do any meetings before lunch. Almost all my meetings are after lunch unless that you know there are occasionally exceptions because I know that that is really important time for for me to be working on my toughest projects um, and things that require a really strong sense of focus and deep work. And then on a good day, I won't dip into emails in the morning because dipping into your emails just sets you up to react and have other people's priorities become your own. And it's like, no, the morning time's too precious for that. Um, and then I'll typically sort of dip into my emails late morning and after lunch. Uh, and, and then, you know, I might do like some, you know, re rebound deep work in the afternoon if I don't have back-to-back -back meetings. Mm. You know what? I think I've discovered that I'm an owl. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, just the last few months, uh, probably the last few months more so, I've uh, I found myself between kind of five, sometimes even up till eight, actually getting a lot of motivation to get quite a bit of stuff done. Um, and then realizing that, oh my God, it's 7.30, it's 8 p.m. I better eat something. Um, <laughs> but I found that, yeah, over the last probably eight or nine months or so that there's this window in the evening post 5 p.m. where I actually do feel quite motivated and focused and I, yeah, and what a great thing to be aware of because it's interesting. I think without knowing this idea of chronotypes, it's easy to just write that off and go, oh, well, it's kind of outside of normal working hours. So that's great as a one-off. I might do some work, but otherwise I need to just be productive between the hours of nine to five or there, thereabouts. Uh, like thankfully more organizations are becoming more flexible with time and when they expect people to work, but that's not always the case. But I think the beauty of knowing your chronotype is you can really lean into it and you can communicate that to other people that you work with. Uh, like Mark, I imagine if other people that you work with know that you're an owl, then maybe they won't put a 9am meeting in your diary, for example, because they're not going to get the best mark at that time. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, well, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, after they listen to this episode, they will know. <laughs> they definitely. Um, look, I think we potentially answered this question already, but I did want to ask it because it's probably something that you know, I just wanted to ask it more directly because it's potentially something that people do think a lot about when it comes to their work. Um, you know, staying in the job because it pays well, right? Money, purely money. Um, 
and maybe we can add in there, I guess, you know, some of the ego stuff around, you know, the, the type of business, etc. Um, compared to making that change to something that you do want to wake up for, but you know, maybe it's a bit more obscure and it doesn't pay as well. Like, how do we find that balance? Uh, it's really hard because like what one theory of motivation would suggest that there are two ways that we can be motivated. We can have intrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivators and extrinsic motivation is external motivation where we're motivated by something that's external to us, like, um, like pay, uh, or a job title or a prestigious organization. And the problem with extrinsic motivation is it's not long lasting. So as soon as you take away that extrinsic motivator, motivation dies. Uh, and intrinsic motivation on the other hand is more internal and it's longer lasting. So it's like being motivated because you feel that sense of purpose and meaning about the work that you're doing, or because you're excited about the challenges that you get to rise up to, or because your job gives you a sense of mastery. Um, it's giving you the opportunity to learn and master new skills and they're intrinsic motivators, they're internal and they're much more enduring. So I think prefacing what I'm about to say with that, um, and I think, you know, being aware of with the job that you're in, what are your intrinsic motivators versus what are your extrinsic motivators is a very good place to start in terms of reflecting how good a fit is this job for you? Because if it's primarily extrinsic motivators, that's, that's not fantastic. Like it might keep you excited for a little bit, but not a long time. Uh, but, but it is hard because, you know, extrinsic motivators can be very compelling when it comes to a job. Like I remember, uh, quite a few years back now, we employed this consultant at Inventium and she had worked at a very big prestigious consultancy and she'd moved over to Inventium and we're a small business. And, you know, while, while we've got a reputation, a good reputation in the fields that we work within, we're not like the company that she came from that's recognized globally. And, you know, and she struggled with that for, for a while. Like it was a big decision for her to leave the the big company with the big reputation and come to this little company uh and and I think at the time I think she took a pay cut as well uh but I, I would say and um you know I, I was in touch with her even just a few days ago uh she she left the organization a few years ago uh but that was that was a really positive decision and I think um you know she wasn't all that happy at the big company but it's hard to walk away from those extrinsic motivators because it can be very confusing because the world tells you that those things are important. The world and social media tells you that it's important to work for big companies with big reputations and to get promoted and to have a fancy job title uh, and to get pay rises and have a really high salary mm. because they're things that give us status in the world. But Sadly, they often don't give us meaning mm. or happiness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or, or anything, as you just said, that, you know, that lasts anyway. Yeah. So maybe it's take that job for three months, make all the cash you can and get out. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> Speaking of mental and physical health, um, you know, and challenges with work, how much can workplace challenges have an effect on well-being? 
Well, I think it's important to 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 overtly call out that there's good challenges and there's bad challenges. So what we want to find at work is what I call the challenge sweet spot. So when it comes to doing great work and performing well and being innovative, what is bad for those things is being in a job where there's no challenge, where you feel like you could do your job with your eyes closed. That's not good for anything. Uh, but also being in a job where the challenges are so great and you don't have the skills and resources to rise up to that challenge, that's also really bad for performance. So it's finding, um, it's like an inverted U, like an upside down U in terms of the relationship between things like uh, performance and innovation and uh, how much challenge you're feeling. So it's finding the right amount of challenge where you feel challenged by the projects that you're working on, but you've got the skills and the resources to rise up to those challenges. Like you've got the time in the day, you've got funding, you know, if, if you need money to help with those challenges or team members to help in terms of, you know, time uh, spent on working on solving those challenges. So that's what we need to be seeking out that challenge sweet spot. And that is really important for, for motivation. So again, it's, you know, I always think it's really worth reflecting on what percentage of your working week are you feeling that challenge sweet spot? Are you in that challenge sweet spot? From research that I've read, uh, the average that, that people say uh, is about 44% of the working week. They'll, they'll feel in that challenge sweet spot. So just as a guide uh, to thinking about, you know, am I average or above average or below average? And then what percentage of your working week do you feel bored? like understimulated and then also what percentage of your working week do you feel stressed hmm. and if you know if if those things are outweighing you know the amount of time that you spend feeling that good challenge then it's potentially time to talk to your boss uh to see what changes can be made uh and if no changes can be made then perhaps it's not quite the right job for you hmm. okay and so that challenge sweet spot I guess, because you did mention there, you know, above that is the sense of feeling stressed. With the challenge sweet spot, will they, could there still be moments of, you know, I am a little bit stressed about it, but I do have the tools and the support to make it happen? Yes, yes. So, absolutely. So, it is normal to feel a bit of stress. That's totally normal um, because challenges involve sitting in, ambiguity and dealing with the unknown because it's a challenge because you don't know the solution or maybe you know the solution but you don't know how to get to that solution and that inevitably is going to provoke stress and anxiety uh which is which is fine if it's not too much and if it's not ongoing mm -hmm. but where the problem lies is if you don't have the skills and resources to rise up to that challenge, that stress and that anxiety is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that can lead to burnout. Yeah, okay. And speaking of teams and the support of a team, how important is relationships at work? And how do you think that's shifted and changed since we are doing a lot of remote work these days? So human connection is very, very important. So another theory of motivation, which I promise will be the last one I'll mention, um, is self-determination theory, one of my favourite theories. And that would suggest that there are three factors or three 
levers, if you like, that we can pull when it comes to how motivated we're feeling at work. So firstly, there's autonomy. Do we have freedom, the freedom to do our job in the way that we see fit? Do we have freedom over how and where and when we work? Uh, Autonomy is very important. Uh, Secondly, there's mastery, which is kind of what we've been talking about with challenges, because when a challenge arises and you have to solve it, inevitably, that will involve some form of mastery um, in terms of getting better at something and learning something. Uh, And then the, the final lever is connection. So feeling connected to the fellow humans that we work with. And, you know, I think it's been an interesting couple of years because, like, while most organizations, I think, were cognizant of this, they were probably quite tokenistic in how they dealt with this, you know, by having virtual happy hours and, you know, virtual trivia nights and virtual yoga classes and all that sort of stuff, uh, which probably begins to lose its impact after a while and people need other ways of feeling that human connection. So uh, human connection is very, very important. I know there was there was research from a, a like quite a few years ago, I can't remember if it was Gallup or Gartner, um, uh, but one of those organisations that does a lot of research into HR suggested that one of the biggest predictors of feeling engaged at work is having a best friend at work um, or a close friend. And I, I've certainly felt that in in the workplaces that I've been a part of. I feel much more engaged in the workplace when I feel close to at least one or two people that I work with regularly. So that's for the leaders out there. There's definitely something to think about in how you promote that. How do you encourage that? Um, Cause if you're feeling connected at work, then of course you're going to, well, one stay around a bit longer probably, um, but also I guess feel that motivation to do good work. Definitely. Hmm. Okay, that is it for part one of our chat with Amantha Imba. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get alerted straight away for when part two becomes available, same time, same place, next week. I'll see you then.